Hey, Changemaker. Welcome to this new episode of the podcast. I am your host, Julia Wicklander, and today, in some parts of the world, Valentine's Day is celebrated. A day that is supposed to be filled with love, sending hearts or roses to that special someone. However, in most parts of the world, intimate partner violence is so frequent, it can be called an epidemic. That is why this day is also a call from activists, advocates, and women around the world to end gender-based violence. In today's episode, we talk about violence against women, rape, and moving through trauma. My guest is Bulelwa Adonis, a young woman from South Africa. She is a multi-passionate individual using her voice to encourage, educate, entertain, and be a mouthpiece for those who cannot speak. She currently holds a higher certificate in counseling and communication and is studying towards a degree in psychology, which she hopes to use to impact communities. She is a mental health advocate, a social justice activist, particularly against gender-based violence, and is the spokesperson for an organization called Women for Change. She is a writer, poet, and speaker. Outside of all the community work, Bulelwa also describes herself as a spiritual being whose heart is after God, a foodie, a soon-to-be author, aspiring model, and singer. We had some technical hiccups during this conversation, so I apologize for a few glitches. Um, it's such an important conversation, and I'm really glad that you're here to listen to it. This is Bulelwa Adonis. Hi, Julia. Bulelwa, it's so nice to see you, and it's so nice that you are joining me today for this conversation on the Hey Changemaker podcast. So I um, would love for you to share a story from your life that reflects um, the start of your journey as a changemaker. Um, you know, this is a podcast for changemakers, uh, about their lives, their journeys. Um, and was there a specific moment that you knew you just had to do something more? Hi, Julia. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's such an honor to be here. It's such an honor for you to just DM um, the foundation and just ask to speak to one of us. So thank you for this opportunity. Looking into what you guys have done, it's amazing. So just firstly, thank you for this platform. Thank you for choosing us. And just to dive straight into your question, um, I think I've always understood that my purpose is bigger than myself. That is a certainty I've always had within myself. I think purpose is something I've always wrestled with, with God asking him, why am I really here? You know, just asking that one question. But one thing I can tell you for a fact is that I've always knew, I've always known that it was connected to people. I have always known that um, helping people is a second nature to me. I've always I don't know, like strangers will tell me their problems. It's, it, it, it's always been a second nature thing, something that always like found me without me even looking out for it, if that makes sense. And it's always just been like an instinct within myself that I don't know, I've never, I've always felt outside of myself if I didn't help a person, be it big or small. And I think being a change maker as such, um, my my life kind of 360 um, when I unfortunately encountered GBV myself when I turned 19 and 
mentally, I just, I think I shut down as a human being and I didn't really function properly for a very, very long time. But even in my dysfunction, even in my pain and my sorrow, um, the few times I would tell my story to a few people, noticing how other people would say me too, hearing other people say, no, you're not alone. The same thing happened to me or worse happened to me. I I knew in that moment that it, it there was a reason why, unfortunately, it happened to me. Because in a country like mine, you are more likely to be raped than you are to get an education, to get a job. So unfortunately, I am one of those people. But I guess in my um in with my story, I it didn't break me, thankfully. <laughs> By God's grace, it didn't break me. And I noticed that by simply just sharing my story, it empowered others. So it's when from me sharing my story to know I need to be the voice to the voiceless because I noticed with myself how I felt like a prisoner. I felt like a prisoner to myself. I felt like a prisoner in my own body. I felt like um, one thing that trauma does to you, it, it like it, it locks down your mind and somehow your voice relocates to a suburb called silence and you feel like you can't function. You feel like you're not a human. And I guess, I, I guess it sparked the most in that moment I will say like beforehand I feel like I've always been helping people I've always been in leadership I've always been in some sector that has to do with people but really um where um my purpose um was was enlarged beyond I guess just the, the normal helping people just um being a leader and whatnot it it it, it sparked beyond my known community my familiar community to a larger community, a larger, you know, just beyond myself globally, where I said, you know what, let me use this thing called my voice, this instrument that I have, because sometimes we invalidate ourselves thinking it's just my voice. But I noticed with the one, when I said my story to the one and the impact it had on the one, that I need to do this forever, that this has to be a part of my why, you know. And since 2019, when I guess I broke down and lost myself because of what had happened to me um I I guess I, I stepped into I used my pain for purpose let me put it like that I used my pain for purpose without even trying if anything I it, I had to redefine my own justice because unfortunately my country there's no justice justice is a figment of our imagination unfortunately and I had to redefine it and I had to turn my pain into purpose. And since then, I mean, now I'm 20, I'm 23, 2024, 20, early next year. And it's only made sense for me to write a poem. I have noticed that I what, what I started doing was, was I would express my, I guess, my pain. What I didn't even know at that time, I was just expressing myself on paper um, through poetry and I found my activism that way. That's how my activism speaks best for itself. I I shared my story through a poem before I actually went live and actually said the entirety of my story. And since then, it's just been um, me sharing more poetry or me speaking to people, having interviews. And I guess since then, I've decided that, you no, know, being a change maker is just, it has to be a part of me, a part of myself, a part of my story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you for your openness and your um, bravery to use your voice and to share your story. And I think it's incredibly inspiring to, to hear how, you know, um, 
sharing the story to the one to one person yeah. and how that in itself is enough and it's so important um and and now you're working with um women for change south africa which has a, a huge platform um and uh your spokesperson for women for change south africa um that is an organization working against gender-based violence and femicide in south africa and um, you mentioned the situation in in your country and um you know in in femicide femicide in south africa is five times uh higher than the global average um and one woman is murdered every three three hours um you're a part of advocating against this through Women for Change um, and through yourself just sharing your story. Um, can you share a little bit more about the mission of the organization and a bit more about the background as to why it was founded in 2016? Okay. Um, sorry, I just wanted to add on to the last thing I just remembered now that Although, yes, it did start when I um, shared my story to the one, I remember what evoked the fire within me was when one of the, the people I shared my story with, um, she's, man, I think she's like four or five, four or five years younger than me. Um, she told me her story and she told me um, who had unfortunately raped her. And the one day I went to go to the butchery just to get some meat or whatnot for a braai. And... As I get out my car, the rapist walks past me. And I remember in that moment, I knew that the mere fact that we can walk amongst predators and rapists and all these, these kinds of people that I have to do something, whatever it may be, I knew in that moment when you walked past me that I have to do something. It didn't even have to be my rapist, my predator. It it was the fact that I heard a story and here he was walking past me. That that in itself was when I, it, it was like a confirmant that nope, there's no turning back. You have to do this. The mere fact that we can live amongst such people is an injustice in itself. But going back to your question. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, going back to your question, so like like you said, Women for Change was founded in 2016. Um, so the mission for Women for Change started just as creating awareness for gender-based violence. Little did we know that we would turn into um, people who post about missing people, missing children. Um, we have become a platform that... Um, our mission is to amplify people's uh, women's voices. It's to um, just empower women once again, because we know that in this fight against gender-based violence, that the pandemic, that it is a pandemic in itself, that it's been here before COVID, it's still here after COVID, that it's something that it's, it's so large, but it's so ignored. And the mission for Women for Change is, was to um, create awareness, it still is, and it's to empower women and to raise their voices and to um, give a platform for their stories because their stories matter. But like I said, we have evolved into something so much greater. Um, people trust us with, you know, um, sharing the fact that their loved ones are missing, that um, if they want their, more than just their stories to be heard, they they look to us, they look to our platforms on statistics to be shared, on 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 going to in on us and connecting people to just like counselors or 
um, media, if they want to, um, I guess, share their stories on a higher platform outside of ourselves. We have helped people get counseling. We've helped people get, and this is why we also partner up with other organizations, you know, some of them deal, deal with, you know, the legal stuff. So we've become that, um, I guess, gateway, that um, connection route to for survivors, for families to to know where to seek help, to know where to get legal justice. And sometimes it's for free. We've um, most most recently, I think a global story that I think the world knows is the Klugersdorp gang rape, um, where seven women were raped at what was supposed to be a music video. And what our founder did, she did it in her own her own power, her own right, and she was just calling up different people, and she she got them all of the me- medical aid that there was that they needed. She got them um, into a, a safe house and everything. And our government said that they did something, but they didn't do anything at all. They, if anything, their their safe house was leaked. The the the, the yeah, that was leaked. So that means that they were in danger. They had no access to income. Um, they didn't give. They didn't check on them medical wise. Um, I think one of them um, needed, um, I think she was in more pain. There was one patient that needed a bit more pain than the others. But we have, um, not to derail, we've amplified in so much more than just awareness. Now we've become just a, an educational platform. We we want to educate people on this pandemic that we, we believe that it's a pandemic. We want other people to understand why we believe that it's so. And going from just creating awareness from these are the statistics and I don't know if you've noticed on our platform that we kind of I guess our posts are very provoking we put faces to these statistics because I think what we see on the news is just so and so people were murdered um you know, there's just numbers when these are human lives. These are people. These are people who would who used to breathe. These some of them are still breathing, like myself. Some of us are survivors that are still alive. But people have been dehumanized to just numbers. So what we do as women for change is we put faces to the statistics. These people have names. These women have names. These children have names, and we share their stories. We we empower. We give them. We fight on their behalf. If that makes sense. We. Being in this business, people don't even know the behind the scenes of how just us sharing stories and ex- and and also exposing people that that also lands people like our founder with lawsuits, etc. You know, so it's just risking, um, I, I guess, risking our own little freedom just so that our 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 women can know that there's a place where they're heard, where they're seen, and they're empowered. So I guess that's just the the mission and just the, the background of Women for Change. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. And and thank you as well for elaborating on, on just the fact of work, walking amongst pre- predators. And I know that it's something that women across the world can, can relate to, um, the fact that impunity exists across the world. Um, and and yeah, and survivors of of rape of of gender based violence don't see the justice that that they deserve, and you know, uh, at the very least, they should have. Um, so, I mean, working with these these issues, there are a lot of conversations about the underlying culture that exists, and sort of the the rape culture and impunity that that. It allows this to continue. What does that look like in South Africa? 
I think I want the, the listeners and the viewers to understand that South Africa is the rape capital of the world. Like you said at the very beginning, um, our statistics for GBV are five times higher than the global um, rates. And I think that in itself just sets the tone or like creates an image in your mind of how normalized this is in my country. Um, we are a country that is so numb to turning on the TV and hearing that, um, just a trigger warning, because this may sound gruesome, but these are some of the real stories that we hear on the news that we're so numb to hearing things like um, a, a girl was murdered by her boyfriend and she was stuffed into a suitcase or somebody was found hanging on a tree or in a post office, she was found three days later. And we still have the audacity to blame victims. We are, um, the, the rape culture in our country is has really infiltrated into our justice system. We, we are more, I, I, there was a, there was a recent, um, YouTube video by I think our number one podcast in the country, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, is it in the country? I think it's yeah, I don't know if it's in the country or in Africa, I'm not sure, but it's it's one of the most popular podcasts. And so it's run by two men, and there was a third one, he's a I think he was a guest. And sure, this latest episode was them speaking back and forth about it's uh the femicide and, and how evil it is and how it's a westernized thing and how black women are using it as an excuse and blaming single mothers because of you know what their children turn out to be and that in itself is just a glimpse just an example of how we are angrier about the fact that rapists are being exposed or predators are being exposed than we are about the act itself you are you are angry about there's a placard that I um that I was um wrote out for a march where it, it wrote that it baffles my mind how the mere phrase of someone saying this is my story infuriates so much. That line in itself is it's like a trigger in this country. It's something that completely infuriates um, the enablers in this country. Those who say they're not enablers, the bystanders, the ones who want to mind their own business and turn a blind eye. That in itself is one of the most um, cynical things in this country um, where we would rather, where you'd go to a police station and report something like, you know, being raped or something, for for instance. But yet the police officer will have the audacity, be it a male or a female, they'll have the audacity to say, but think of their life, think of their future, think of them. Count. I mean, we've had enough statistics. Mm. There is one story was enough. I don't know why, how we got to this point where it's still not enough. We ask ourselves, which story is it going to take? How many statistics is it going to take for GBV to be taken seriously? So um, that in itself should, I guess, be a brief glimpse of how rape is enabled in this country. How I don't know why victim blaming is such uh, it's it, it it's such a popular thing. Unfortunately, it's such a popular thing. 
where um, either victims are silenced or victims are being blamed of, no, you're ruining this person's life. No, this isn't how it should be. That in itself should tell you that our society is just, unfortunately, we've, we've become numb to this. We've become enablers to this culture of rape that we, if anything, I, I don't know why we speak in a sense where we say, no, be safe or, you know, protect each other, whatnot. I'm not saying we can eliminate crime. I know that that's like an impossible thing. I don't want to use such a word, but I know that thinking like that is not um, thinking logically or thinking that we can eradicate GBV. Um, but saying things like, no, girls, be safe. You know, boys have a nice time. We're not listening to ourselves, not listening to how damaging it is to how the difference in how we raise our boys and girls and what we speak to them about, why why is it that um, losing your virginity is cool to guys, but being a virgin is um, seen as amazing to girls? Why are, are, are things so different, but we think that we can live so, we can live in harmony? Why do we, we think that we can be congruent and, and work together when learning different things, when it seems like we're on different playing fields? So I guess that in itself with just inequality and, and such things and just the patriarchal world and just, um, I, I guess people using things like um, masculinity and femicide saying toxic masculinity is such a um, a hated thing, a hated topic, um, I guess, in a society like ours because rape is normal. Rape is expected and unfortunately rape is the more likely thing to happen in a country like mine. And that in itself has really found its way into our justice system because society itself will blame the victim. Why are you going, why are you going on social media to share your story? You know, why didn't you go to the police? When our police have shown countless times that they're not for us, that our our government itself, our justice system, I mean, we have laws where we can't say the predator's name. It's things like that in itself where this country is a safe haven for predators. If predators are looking for a place to stay, South Africa is the place to be. Unfortunately, they are safe here. They are protected here. And victims are just, it, it's almost like a crime to just admit that you're a victim admit that you are in pain to it, it you are you are more liked or it, it makes more sense to the society that you keep quiet that you suffer in silence and yet they're going to be the same people that mourn for you and cry your name and share your hashtag when you're deceased when you're gone but it, it's little things like that that show you the rape culture and the, the normalization of it in this country Thank you for that elaborate response and and just really painting that picture so um, strongly. And I think it's so um, discouraging to and because that I mean, it's similar conversations that we even here here in Sweden, where, you know, whose future is of importance, yeah. whose 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 story matters most yeah. um, because it's always and, and also just as well naming naming it as what it is you know with toxic masculinity with men's violence against women mm. um and and just really um uh yeah i i thank you so much for it for just painting that um strongly so 
since 2016, I mean, you've shared a little bit about how the organization has developed so much. Um, and But in the same time, we've, the world has also gone through a different pandemic, yeah. which in many parts of the world has affected gender-based violence and violence against women in particular mm -hmm. um, a lot. Has What what have, have recent years looked like um, since the organization was formed and and what sort of progress has been made and, and what, what change have you seen? From what I've seen in my um, short time with Women for Change, obviously um, platform-wise, social media-wise, especially on Instagram, there has been a significant increase. We, we really see social media as a tool and I guess, over the years, we've seen how helpful and how beneficial the tool of social media has been for this organization. Um, I guess the, the downside over the years is the fact that when you are an activist, when you are an MPO, you know, you are reliant on government funds and such things. And when you're not paid, and so for some people, this is their life. For some people, being an activist is is your life for some people having an, an NGO or an NPO it's your life and to have no sustainability and really it, it really affects you because you will need like I said legal aid sometimes because I mean like I said mentioned in the beginning sometimes we could fall in a, a position where we have lawsuits this is mainly our founder have lawsuits and such things but I guess the the things like the COVID and things have really exposed the fact that NPOs really are, I don't know how to explain it. I, I'm trying to find a proper word for it, but it's like a blessing in disguise or a miracle that so many NPOs still exist. Purely because I would understand the frustration in giving it in and just throwing in the towel and just doing this because I guess people don't understand or people don't see behind the scenes that, uh, I mean, for Women for Change, for instance, for um, Women's Day, we used to have these runs. We still do. Now we do it vertically since COVID, you know, since people couldn't interact with each other. They would have runs, but then we changed it into vertical. But just planning that on its own requires a lot of money, requires a lot of planning, a lot of income. So we need sponsors. We need all of these different things. And I guess since COVID, it's been a bit harder getting a bit getting some sponsors. It's been harder to meet deadlines. I mean, now donations are like our only thing. Now we can only think of making um um these what do you call them the the the, the funds that you do online where you ask people to donate. Yeah, crowdfunding. Yes, we, it's only become those are the only options in my mind. But that's become our only option at this point, and. Yet we're still pushing, yet we're still like it, it. I'm always in awe of just our founder, like she's always giving everybody else the credit and forgetting herself. I just, I really look at her in awe that despite the lawsuits, despite the defamation of character, despite the, the hate we get on a consistent basis, but I think that's something we, we, we understand in this fight, despite all of it, despite the fact that. I think people forget that just mentally, the fact that Women for Change does not miss a day in posting something, be it somebody who's passed away, be it somebody who's deceased, be it anything, we, you will have a post 
for, from Women for Change on Instagram, there will always be a post and obviously it will interlink onto Twitter and Facebook and whatnot. But we always post that and people forget that psychologically, every day getting DMs that are consistently flooded where people are, are telling us their stories in, in detail sometimes. So-and-so has passed away, so-and-so is murdered, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, sending us pictures hearing consistent stories of murder, of rape, of injustice, of something vile, of abuse, people calling us. Some people see us as a helpline. My goodness, if we had a phone number, our number would also be as, I guess, congested as our DMs are because people really look to us as a helpline. And we're not that many people in this organization. I think people think we're really not that many people. That's why I'm always... I always have so much respect and so much admiration for just the the, the team who does the, the the few people who do the, the posts or, you know, be at the videos or whatnot. And to think I just I just came in saying that, no, can I please help? I mean, I was just I was young and I was like, no, can I just please? That's how I essentially got into own for change, you know, just not even out of curiosity, but just the 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 passion in my heart to help others and just the vow to myself and to God that without even saying it out loud, but I think that just the passion in itself came from a place where I knew that I didn't want another person to be a walking corpse the way I was. I can say for a fact that it felt like for these past few years that I feel like I've been a walking corpse. And it only feels only recently, I think because only recently I graduated, only recently I got over that year that I felt like I've been stagnant since that year um, that things have progressed. So Women for Change has had some um, struggles that people don't always see. And I think funds is a huge one. So funds is something that I don't know why the government doesn't understand. And, and they always host these. Um, there was, for, I don't know if it was, was it 16 Days of Activism or it was Women's Day, where they hosted the summit again, which I don't completely understand why it's needed or why it's necessary because it's just I feel like it's just a show for TV with a lot of money where they tell us certain fees allocated to I guess the fight against GBV to NPOs but we don't receive them we don't receive them so you ask yourself what what is the reason for the shows and the, the press and the pictures when there's no change when um there's people who need help people who are being neglected and we are I guess the privileged ones the ones who have access to things like Instagram things like Twitter what about the the people in the rural areas you know we forget about the dependency on predators and why this this rape culture is a norm way the predator is the breadwinner and we need them and we we forget such things we neglect such things but I guess overall social media wise it's really it's progressed and I, I feel like it continues to progress be it in good press or, or or good light or bad light, I think overall people firmly believe in us. People firmly trust us in speaking on their behalf, in being their mouthpiece, you know, for the struggle against GBV. Um, yeah, I think overall there has been a bit more good, but even the little bad, people don't see how dampering that is on our end because that limits us from helping further. Because things like our runs. Um, and we we would have these these little packages, you know, for for the runs, be it like a little juice box, and there's this whole cute little um kit that we 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 sell for these runs that obviously go towards 
all of these foundations that go towards women, that go towards children to help them. And when you don't have funds and when you can't do runs and things like that, you're limited, you know, and things like virtual races are still there, thankfully. But I guess just the, I guess the, the need or the will for people to do it is kind of, it, it fluctuates, but I, I guess all things are like that. You know, people show interest, don't show interest. I guess people just miss the human interactions of runs and things like that. But I guess the, I, I think I'm heavily emphasizing the the lack of funds because it really, it limits, it, it. it's like a huge hold from us to be the help and be the change that we really want to be. But overall, there has been um, um, both good and bad, um, I guess, progression for women for change as a whole. I mean, now we are looking into things like, like you can see on our, um, we have a website um, and now I, I want to start building on a, a blog where we will just give women more voices, more opportunities for their, their stories to be there. Since I, I guess we've, we've seen countless times that our, our news outlets that on the news, uh, only the big stories, the most gruesome stories are the ones that are shared. Not your everyday, unfortunately, your everyday rape. I, I had an everyday rape, unfortunately. It wasn't big enough to be published. It wasn't a strong enough case to, to be taken to court. It wasn't um, the, I remember the the magistrate lady, she was a lady and she said that your story isn't, you know, she basically said get a better story. And it's, it's you know, it's it's things like that, um, that I guess women for change want to, we want to voice such things. So I guess there is some progression. There is definitely good and bad um, progress for women for change. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think, um, I mean, the struggles that you're talking about with nonprofit organizations and, and civil society throughout the pandemic, I think so many can relate to that. So, and you, you are definitely a very multi-passionate individual with your poetry and using your voice in diff many different ways and um, also an advocate for mental health. And you're speaking about the, um, you know, the trauma of, of reliving all of these stories and, you know, getting ac all of these, you know, uh, very detailed and, and gruesome reports uh, in your DMs and, um, and just working with it all the time. I think mm -hmm. it's also one of those things that that make people maybe um, that make people afraid to enter into this kind of work as well, because they're afraid they can't they won't be able to handle it or it's just too much. It's easier to shut my eyes and, and take a step mm -hmm. back and ignore it um, because it is incredibly difficult work and it does require so much strength. Um, yeah. So in terms of, of your own mental health and, and just the perspectives of navigating mental health and activism in this kind of work, um, can you share a little bit about your, your own perspectives of, of how one can do that um, to, to really you know, take care of, of ourselves? Um, while being an activist? Yeah. I just want to start off by saying um, if you are in the activism space, whether you are an activist or you don't classify as one, but just you're fighting for the good of others, I commend you, I see you, and I understand the consistent mental war or mental conflict you are enduring on a consistent basis. I think 
the way one can handle it is by understanding that self is so important. And in the work that we do, we spend so much time being everything for everyone else, being their voice, fighting for them. Um, so their trauma is poured into us, et cetera, all of these different things. And I think it, I think it's easy as an activist. I will say as an NPO, like I said, there's not a day that Women for Change is not going to post. There is not a day that Women for Change is not going to post. And I think maybe I would say if you're if you're an activist on your own, please allow yourself breaks. Breaks are necessary. Breaks from things like social media. I trust you. The world is going to be just as chaotic or whatever it is when you're there and when you're not there. And it's not to, it's not to make you feel bad, but it's just to give you um, a, a breather to understand that you are still needed, that you are, that you will always be necessary. But in order for you to be the change, in order for you to have any sort of impact, I would advise you to really, to please um, normalize giving yourself grace. And I think that we're in, uh, especially our generation, the, the younger generation, where we have this, this, and I think something that social media that ha has injected into us is this consistent grinding, hustle, consistent work, 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 no sleep. You know, that's what the, the winners do, the, the, the 1% does. And I understand that and I get that and I get the work ethic behind that. But I read a beautiful tweet the other day and it said, you've, you've applied enough pressure on yourself. Apply grace. And I think that's one thing I will reiterate consistently. Apply try to apply the same amount of grace that you apply yourself pressure. And if that is, seems impossible, just make sure that you apply yourself some sort of grace because it's necessary. I've seen, I've, I've worked with um, activists that have had to sign themselves into um, psych wards and, you know, these institutions for help. And they're the, like, we're the lucky ones that we can actually think of doing such things. What about the people that are, are burning themselves out and have nowhere to go, have no outlet. Hence, um, I advocate things like just getting off your phone, getting off social media, because that in itself has the tendency to be very triggering. Because if we're being honest with all the different fights that we have, all the different perspectives, not just GBV, there's so many problems in the world. I mean, we're looking at the weather. I mean, climate change is something that we, there's so many different problems in the world. All different countries, we all have different things to fight. So there's always going to be something to fight but just understanding that you need to be full you need to have some sort of battery life some sort of power within you and I think understanding that we're not robots we're human beings we have feelings we get tired and we're allowed to be tired I think as an activist validate your feelings I think sometimes that as an activist you feel like my feelings you know they don't matter that that's very selfish of me I think as an activist something that I would would say is please practice selfishness that the, as much as being selfless is beautiful and it's necessary and it's needed to work in a space where you're working for others please practice selfishness that it's it's important to say no it's important to not give in to not not go to every interview not to not to read every dm sometimes sometimes you can go back Sometimes you can go back. Sometimes your post can answer the person without you needing to read everything, responding to everything. Understanding when you um, can take things and when you can't. And just 
validating yourself it's so necessary saying just allowing yourself to feel your emotions saying that you're tired saying it out loud to yourself Lelua Adonis thank you so much for just sharing so much wisdom and um, really just sharing your story sharing the story of women women for change South Africa and and just inspiring our global community of change makers you just shine so much um you know life and and hope just i mean i can see it through your face i know that our podcast listeners won't but we'll be sharing a few video clips so i hope you can see that as well and i i'm sure that we you know everyone can hear that in your voice as well thank you so much for joining me today Thank you for joining me for this conversation. If you want to learn more about Women for Change, go to womenforchange.co.za. I want to encourage all of us to be vigilant, aware, and work together to end rape culture. Knock on your neighbor's door if you believe something's wrong. That interruption can save a life. Speak out against sexism or sexist jokes. We are all a part of normalizing a culture that preys on women and girls. As a way to end this conversation, I just want to say to you that your voice matters and you are important. If you are in any way at risk of domestic violence or intimate partner violence, please reach out to someone you trust or to a local organization or women's shelter that can support you. There are also hotlines or chat lines in several parts of the world where you can reach out for guidance. You are valuable, powerful, and you are a change maker.